This is Evidence-Based GI, and I'm Philip Schoenfeld, Editor-in-Chief. Today, we'll be discussing research about treating ileal Crohn's disease with early ileocecal surgical resection versus medical therapy. With us to discuss this will be our Associate Editor, Bharati Kochar, Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School, and we'll be discussing her summary in the January 2024 issue of Evidence-Based GI, where she reviewed a recent Danish population-based cohort study about this topic. So welcome back, Dr. Kochar. And as always, we start off by just discussing why this is an important topic for our listeners to consider early surgical intervention for limited ileal Crohn's disease. Well, thank you so much for having me back. It's such a pleasure to discuss the study. I think this is a very, very well done, um, robust retrospective cohort study. And the reason it's so important is that it really highlights what we've known since Crohn's was diagnosed or discovered as a disease process in 1932, that Crohn's still remains a surgical disease process. And so it just kind of highlights to us in this era where we have, you know, two new medications really a year for the treatment of IBD, that IBD should be thought of as a medical surgical disease process. And this study, along with the Lyric study that uh, was published in the Lancet Gastroenterology Hepatology, which randomized um, 70 patients in each arm to early ileocecal resection and anti-TNF therapy, essentially demonstrate that early ileocecal resection for a subgroup of patients with limited ileal Crohn's disease is actually a completely reasonable option. And this was a very nice study that aimed to mimic the Lyric study design, but do it in a retrospective large cohort. So we can really look at larger numbers instead of looking at 70 patients in each arm. So I think it is a very important study to remind everyone that IBD and specifically Crohn's disease is still a surgical disease. Yeah, I guess that's the really important part for us as gastroenterologists to remember that if you've got limited ileal disease, that early surgical resection might be a good treatment option, even though as as gastroenterologists, we probably think of medical therapy initially, and we try to limit surgery for our patient. And, you know, just to specifically discuss this study by Agarol et al. in the October 2023 issue of Gastroenterology, which you summarized, basically this is a Danish population cohort study of over 1,200 patients diagnosed with ileal or ileocecal Crohn's disease from 2003 to 2018, who either underwent surgical resection or started on an anti-TNF agent within one year of diagnosis, and then followed them out for five years or more to see whether or not they had a repeat hospitalization or had to use steroids or had to get repeat surgery or develop perianal Crohn's disease. And essentially what they showed was that patients who got surgery were less likely to require a repeat surgery or to get steroids compared to the patients who were on anti-TNF therapy. And ultimately that about 50% of the patients who got surgery were on no medications at all 
five years out from when they had their surgery. So when do you recommend early ileal cecal resection in your patients who are newly diagnosed with Crohn's disease? Or how do you discuss it with those patients who have a new diagnosis of limited ileal Crohn's disease? It's important to remember in the Lyric study, which was the randomized control trial, they actually only included patients with limited, as in, you know, not extremely long segment ileal inflammatory Crohn's disease. And in the Agarwal study, which is the retrospective study that was recently published in Gastro, the study actually included patients who had both penetrating fistulizing disease as well as stricturing disease. And the thought was that including those patients with a more severe phenotype would bias the results to the null anyway. And so it was also a reasonable study design sort of decision. But that was a retrospective study. So, you know, these uh, sort of phenotypes are sometimes a little bit hard to suss out retrospectively. So when you're seeing a patient, though, who has very mild limited ileal Crohn's disease, it's a little bit different now than when both these studies were conducted in that we now have a couple of different anti-interleukin options or more selective biologic agents and even more prevalent use of um, a more targeted anti-integrin agent. And so quite frankly, in my practice, I don't actually bring up surgery yet for that patient with that mild inflammatory short segment ileal Crohn's disease. And I really do depend on anti-interleukin therapy as first-line therapy to the point where I do feel that unless there's another specific disease-related phenotypes like profound arthralgia or arthritis, the need or more systemic sort of other inflammatory conditions like a uveitis or something else, the need for anti-TNF therapy as first-line biologic with Crohn's disease is no longer the case. I, I do think of the more selective biologic agents like betalizumab, ustekinumab, brisinkizumab as the first-line agents for milder Crohn's disease. So I think that does change the way we, we talk about this. But the study really highlights the important point that we should be telling patients that surgery is not an unreasonable option. There may be many patients who want that sort of faster fix. And the one thing that both the Lyric study and the uh, study in Gastro with the Danish cohort demonstrate is that there's a number of people after surgery who are able to go five years without the need for any biologics after. And so perhaps, you know, surgical therapy is reasonable for a selected patient and we should be mentioning it. Now, the risks of an anti-TNF are a little bit different than the risks of a medication like an anti-interleukin. And that's why I do think that, you know, we don't always send them straight to surgery. But what we're trying to do in our practice more is see patients with a surgeon at their first visit so that we can say, just so you know, this is a medical surgical disease. Now, most likely I will be doing the majority of the treatment, but just in case you need a surgeon in the future, here's our phenomenal surgeon who's, you know, not so scary. So I think demystifying surgery is important for patients as well. That's another great suggestion to consider an early referral just to establish care with a surgeon and let the patient meet their potential surgeon and have an initial relaxed discussion about risks and benefits before they're going to absolutely have to go to the OR. How do you decide if you're going to use an anti-integrin agent like vetaluzumab versus an anti-interleukin-23 monoclonal antibody like ustekinumab? or actually now risenkizumab. Involves a lot of decision-making about their overall presentation and, you know, what is the most burdensome sort of disease that they have. So sometimes you'll meet patients earlier this week. I met a woman who 
has some, you know, mild ileal colonic, ileocolonic Crohn's disease. But in speaking with her, we realized that actually the joint pain was really what was the most prominent, but you know, very resilient, able to push through for a couple of years. And her GI symptoms were not prominent at all. And so for her, though, because the joint pit symptoms were what was most function limiting for her, we actually went with the first line anti-TNF agent for the treatment of her somewhat mild ileocolonic inflammatory Crohn's disease. Again, based on that joint symptoms, I had a patient recently where they came in with numerous systemic inflammatory conditions, uveitis and arthritis and a couple of more. And again, the luminal inflammation was was quite mild and it was Crohn's disease. And, you know, I just said, we should probably pick a more systemic agent and picked adalimumab just because it seems like there was a huge systemic burden of inflammation. But for someone who just doesn't have a tremendous burden of symptoms or the symptoms are all kind of GI luminal symptoms, and they have a limited segment of isolated ileal inflammatory disease, uh, I think our first-line anti-interleukin agent is very reasonable and really should be the standard. I mean, we do know that from the CVU trial, when you look at ustekinumab versus adalimumab, and numerically, there was just a slightly higher risk of infections. Again, not statistically significant, but numerically. And the efficacy is, is quite good. So I do think that more and more, as you're pointing out, in the modern therapeutic era, anti-interleukin therapy or an anti selective anti-integrin therapy should be considered sort of that first-line treatment for the milder Crohn's disease, where we do know you want to use biologics up front, unless there is a reason to pick an anti-TNF. The Lyric trial actually used, it was early ileal resection versus infliximab. And so, you know, which again is not necessarily even the absolute go-to anti-TNF agent all the time uh, with Crohn's disease. So just important to remember that these studies highlight the importance of surgery, but are not necessarily reflective of current practice. And again, just for our listeners, although with the exception really of the CVU trial that compared ustekinumab versus adalumumab, that at least based on mechanism of action and how targeted they are, we think that the anti-interleukin-23 monoclonal antibodies like ustekinumab and rizikizumab probably are less likely to be associated with opportunistic infections, and I think less likely to be associated with malignancy too, compared to anti-TNF agents, although we may not have enough large-scale head-to-head data to, to absolutely state that. Agreed. And, and there's also just a lower association with immunogenicity, which then uh, has implications for drug persistence and all of that. So I do think, you know, overall, it would be almost easier for patients if they can't get a more selective biologic agent up front as their first line therapy. And we know that the anti-TNF agents actually work pretty well as second line agents, too. With vetalizumab, we learned that it's a great first line biologic agent. When you use it as a second, third, and fourth line biologic, it tends to work less well. And so it sounds like you we should be using our selective agents up front and reserving TNFs for when they're really needed. Well, that's another great point for our listeners. I really encourage our listeners to go back and look at Dr. Kochar's summary in the January issue of Evidence-Based GI. So with that, thanks again for joining me today. Please remember to subscribe to Evidence-Based GI on your favorite podcast platform. And please follow us on at, formerly known as Twitter, at ACG underscore EBGI, where we host tutorials with PowerPoint reviews of EBGI summaries every Wednesday. Please look for the new issue of Evidence-Based GI on the 17th of January. Thanks again for joining us today. 
Thank you very much for having me.